As was made mention already, um, this is Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 104 uh, that we've already recited together, and I would encourage you to turn in your copy of Scripture uh, to Psalm 104, and if you don't have a Bible, you can go into the Pew Bible, and it's on page 502, and we will be looking at, um, I'll be reading the entire Psalm together. Um, but for the sake of time, we're only going to be looking at the section that we uh, read together, that we interacted with in verses 24 to 35. But go ahead and turn there. Because today is Pentecost Sunday. It's a day we remember and celebrate the blessing, the fulfillment of what Jesus did when He blew on His disciples and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Pentecost Sunday is the day which they hear that same Spirit of God rushing into that upper room that was, that was locked tight so that they wouldn't be found out and that the Roman soldiers wouldn't come in and kill them. And so they were locked in and the Spirit of God came rushing like a, like a wind and descended on them like in tongues of fire. And we celebrate this Pentecost Sunday not just as though it is something in the past where, like, man, that was awesome. I'm so glad God is faithful to His promises. You got that one. That's great. No, we, we celebrate that because by doing that, we're bringing Pentecost Sunday and we're asking God to fill us in the same way, to baptize us, as it were, in the same way as He did the disciples in the upper room. Because the Holy Spirit is not up to our whip and will. I'll get into more of that in a second. We, we can't stir up the Holy Spirit through rabble-rousing music or rabble-rousing preaching. That is not the thermometer of whether the Spirit of God was at work in our church. How many times have you heard people saying, man, the Spirit was really moving. He's always moving. Let me just put that there. You can write that down. The Spirit of God is always moving. Not just when the, the beat of the music is hitting hard. Not when the smoke machine is fired up. Not when the lights are moving around. The Spirit of God is at work right now as much as He will be in an hour when we recess from this place. And so we celebrate that and we ask the Spirit of God to attune us like a tuning fork to what He's doing in the world. That's the point of Pentecost Sunday. That's the point of Pentecost is to realize that the Spirit of God has not only flooded the upper room, but He's flooded our own hearts and it's overflowing and it wells up and it, and it is meant He... He is meant to overwhelm us so much so that we are empowered for works of service. What we must do, though, is prepare our hearts and wait for Him. We have to till up our own hearts. We have to open our hearts, as it were, and ask the Spirit of God to come as we sang earlier. We ready our hearts and we ask God to fill us. This is not a, a you know, put the coin in the vending machine and then out comes some kind of blessing from Jesus. No, the, the posture of a Christian as we've looked at throughout the last four uh, to six weeks has been that of receiving from God. We are always and ever recipients of God. That's the point of being a Christian. At the moment, someone repents and believes in the Spirit. Let me, let me preface all of this here. The Holy Spirit covers that person with His presence. He seals that person as a child of God. After that moment, 
What we call baptism, being baptized in the Spirit, is to be overwhelmed. Over, like you are immersed into the waters of baptism. That's why we celebrate believers' baptism by immersion. It is a picture of being immersed in the Spirit prior to the moment of baptism. But then Paul tells us throughout Scripture that the Spirit of God comes and He fills believers for works of service. So let me ask you, when was the last time you felt an inordinate amount of God's Spirit filling you in such a way that you were emboldened for, for witness for Jesus? You're like, man, I don't know, even know what that feels like. Pray and ask the Spirit of God to do that for you. Paul says it's a, a reality that we can experience to fill us so much so that we aren't afraid of what that person thinks of us anymore. That we can be courageous. That we can be kind. That we can turn the other cheek. That we can do all these things that Jesus calls us to do because He has so filled our hearts that they overflow with joy. See, Paul tells us that we have been baptized into the Spirit of God. That's a one-time reality. We've been overwhelmed, flooded by the Spirit of God. Yes, we've been baptized, and yet we are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, let me ask this. How does someone come to that place of being baptized in the Spirit by salvation? Being given the Holy Spirit? It's by believing in the Gospel. Quite plain and simple. And so every member of Redeemer is asked, what is the Gospel? And so you should be able to say, the Gospel is... So let me just leave it there. What is the Gospel? The Gospel is that Jesus Christ came, lived the perfect life, He died the sacrificial death on your behalf. That's part one. And see, that's glorious and good news, right? That's glorious and good news that you and I can believe in that, repent of our sin, and believe that that is true. And have you ever made that connection? I don't want to make the assumption that just because you're sitting here that, and just because you've gone to church all your life that you've made the connection between Jesus' sacrificial death because your sin, your rebellion deserves it. That's the message of Christianity is that Jesus died for you so that you could then, the second part of the gospel so that you might have life just to be forgiven of sin is wonderful and whenever i sin against my wife and she forgives me that's wonderful but if it just left it at that that wouldn't be good news the good news is that when then we have a conversation afterwards that we actually develop and grow in our relationship with one another and that is what god wants for you that is the good news is that you were alienated from god you believe and repent of your sin and then you are transferred into the kingdom of Jesus and then you actually have a relationship with God. That is the good news. But it goes further. There's a third part of that good news is that God doesn't just say, hey, let's build a relationship. Let's develop a relationship. Read my word. Pray. No. You actually are invited by God Himself to be a part of what He's doing in the world. That is the glorious good news. That is the Gospel. Repent and believe. Live in fellowship with Him. And then go out and make disciples. That is the glorious Gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are called to participate with God. The Creator of the stars of night invites you to heal what is broken in the world. He invites you to care for those who are broken in this world. So our psalm today 
is really a, a master class on that very thing of being overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. Reminds us of this overwhelming and powerful flooding Spirit of God. And we have to remember that the Spirit of God is not a possession that we have in the sense of, um, I have my manuscript right here. The Holy Spirit is not something... I have the Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit? No. That's an aspect of what it means to walk with Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is not something that you and I can possess in the same sense that we possess a Christmas gift. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is all present everywhere at all times. As uh, I mentioned him before, Mako Fujimura has written in Culture Care, and he said on a podcast that I have, he said that no one owns God. No one owns the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't need us because God is all-sufficient. That's something that we have to have before we even read Psalm 104 is that, that the Spirit of God is not like, okay, I understand Him now. Now I can manage my relationship with, with God. No. The Holy Spirit is all present and o- an overwhelming presence in our life. And so the Christian is simply this, the one who has tasted of the abundance of God and swims in that abundance. A true sign of maturity in the Christian life is when you and I can move past the transactional relationship that we typically have with God, saying, God, I've done these things for you. Why is life so hard? Why do I not so, feel so close to you, Lord? Like being able to move past that like tit for tat type relationship and realizing that it's not about a transaction that we have. If I do enough good things, then God's happy with me. If I do really bad things, then God is frowning on me. A true sign of Christian maturity is when you are so overwhelmed with the Spirit of God that you delight in Him for who He is. So, I'm going to give you a point of application here at the front end. Is I want you, when you go home, and I'll do this periodically in my sermons, I'll say, please go home and read the rest of this. That actually is an application point. It's not just like, hey, just write that down and, and... Maybe do that. No, no, do, do this. I promise you that my, my goal is for you to feel so in love with this Bible that you want to read it. And so let me just, here's your homework. Go read Psalm, Psalms 103 to 105. Read the, all three of those Psalms together because the Psalms have not been kind of stitched together like happenstance. They are put together in a certain way because Psalm 103 then bleeds in. And, and I'll give you a little hint. Uh, Psalm 103 starts with the high and lofty one. Right? If you look at the end of Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts. Bless the Lord, all His works. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then Psalm 104, can't get into it. I can't, can't, can't do your homework for you. So your homework class is to look at Psalm 103, consider how it leads into Psalm 104, and then how Psalm 104 connects to Psalm 105. Realize that this is all part of an an intentional design by the uh, people who have put the psalm together for us to be able to engage with it. So we're only going to focus on the last little bit, but to give us a little bit of context, I'm just going to read through it and make one comment on each one of these stanzas. Okay, So let's look at Psalm uh, 104, verse, verse 1. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. Notice 103 ends that way. Psalm 104 starts that way. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering Yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of His chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds His chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes His messengers or angels winds. His ministers a flaming fire. So the high and lofty one dwells in inaccessible light. You cannot contain him. The highest heaven cannot contain him. That's who Psalm 104 is talking about. Verse 5. He sets the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. So the high and lofty one who dwells in inaccessible light sets the ground firm under your feet. He's the one who allows us to be able to walk on the earth and He's the one who keeps it spinning. He's the one who keeps all of the planets in orbit. That if they were off just one degree, we would be dead. That same high and lofty one establishes and set a sure foundation. And then there's this um, mentioning of the covering it uh, with the deep as with the garment. This, the water stood above the mountains. This is a reference to Noah and the great flood that the Lord flooded the earth to cleanse it from unrighteousness. But now, the next stanza, we see that the water doesn't come in judgment, but that it comes to nourish us. Look at verse uh, 10 through 13. He says, Whereas before there was, there was a flood in the previous stanza, verse 10 says, But you make springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. From your lofty abode you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. So, the water is no longer for judgment, but for blessing. Verse 14, You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. The blessings of the earth are ours now to enjoy because God has caused rains to come and the, the, the wine to be gushing forth. All of these things are meant for your enjoyment and your blessing. The Lord has given them to us to enjoy. Verse 16, The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that He planted. In them the birds build their nests, the stork has her home in the fir trees, the high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. The Lord is a refuge for the small, and He planted the high and mighty trees and mountains. The Lord knows the most intimate details of the rock badger, who I want to mention here in a moment. But He knows what's going on with the old rock badger. And He knows what's happening at the highest height with the mountain goats. And He knows about the fir trees that are high and mighty. He planted them. And He established them. Verse 19, He made the moon 
to mark the seasons. Now we're going in outer space. <laughs> the sun knows it's time for setting. You make darkness and it is night when all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Our work is to participate and enjoy the work that He has for us to do. You see that He is the Lord of all creation. Outer space, inner space. <laughs> He's everywhere. And He is intimately acquainted with everything in our lives. So I just have, that's all preliminary. And don't worry, there were these, these next two points, I've only, I've only got two points in the sermon. So that's all preliminary to set up what is happening in verse, verses 24 through 35. And so the first point is just this, that the earth is covered. The earth is covered with what? With God's presence, God's Spirit. The earth is covered, point one. Look at uh, verse 24 through 26. O Lord, how manifold are Your works! In wisdom You have made them all. The earth is full of Your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan which You formed to play in it. There is not a thing that, is not, that, that, that happens by chance. Every single detail of the cosmos, God is upholding by the Word of His power. Everything that happens in the world around us is due to His infinite wisdom and His purposes, His goals of creation, His design. Every single thing that we experience, every single coworker that annoys you, the Lord has placed there in your life. Every child who does not listen to you, the Lord put them in your household. Every parent who won't listen to you, they put in your household. The Lord Himself, by His wisdom and for His purposes, has done every single thing. He is the majestic King and Creator of all the earth. He's the Lord over all. And I shared something on uh, Instagram, and uh, I know everyone's following me and at rapt attention to my Instagram post, but there has recently been spotted a black spot on the sun. Did you all hear about this? That there this black spot that, that just appeared on the sun, and it is four times the size of earth. Let that sink in for a moment. Four times the size of the globe in which it will take you forever to revolve around. That black spot was put there by God. That sun itself holds everything in its orbit because God sustains it. But then we go to outer space. We go down to the depths of the ocean. You hear, see, see what he mentions here of Leviathan in verse 26? Well, the closest thing that we have to... We don't really know all the details of what Leviathan is, uh, but we do know about the largest uh, creature in the sea, the blue whale. And I did a little bit of research on the blue whale. Um, blue whales can grow up to 100 feet. And I did like a quick measurement of this sanctuary. It is uh, 50 feet back, about 50 to 60 feet. So the blue whale is twice the size. So if you're in, in the back, look, you're this far times two. And if you're in the front, you can turn around and look back, and that person all the way back there, two times that distance. Out to the uh, other side of the street would be 100 feet. That's how long he is, and then he's 15 feet. The average one is 15 feet tall. 
the blue whale. His lung capacity can, it can hold 1,300 gallons. His heart weighs 400 pounds. That's two of me. That's, his, that's just his heart. And you, he has to eat, get this, 8,000 pounds of food every single day. And you know what's crazy about this? Is that he has to eat 8,000 pounds of food, and it ain't like another whale. He eats one of the smallest creatures in the ocean. How amazing is that? That the Lord says the largest thing is going to eat the smallest thing. And he's going to have to eat 8,000 pounds of that every single day. The, uh, they're called uh, uh, krill. You can get krill oil. Get some krill oil, that's good for you. Uh, but that's what he eats. This humongous mammal of the ocean. And the Lord says, I cause the great blue whale to play in the ocean. You're on your ships skipping along the top and underneath is this amazing... In fact, if you haven't seen any of these National Geographic documentaries, I would encourage you to go watch them. These, the blue ocean, the, 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 the life that is happening underneath the surface. The Lord is orchestrating all of that. Every single thing. And then the great manatees. You know, we, we, we went to Florida and got to swim with the manatees. And you know what they eat? They don't eat humans. We'd probably be scared. They eat plants. These huge, humongous animals eat plants. And those are related to these rock badgers. The rock badgers that we see earlier in, in the psalm, the rock badgers who find a home in the rocks, in the clefts of the mountains, you know what they do most of their lives? 95% of their life is spent sunbathing. Isn't that awesome? They are so content and so secure in their provision and God providing for them that they just sunbathe for 95% of their life. They rest because they know that they are secure and well-fed. But we see that uh, Leviathan is not just some great sea creature, but that he is used throughout Scripture uh, to refer to chaos and torment and pain. And you, you can hear about this. The, the enemies of the Lord in Isaiah 27 says, In that day, the Lord with His hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and He will slay the dragon that is in the sea. And this is a metaphor for all of God's enemies particularly of Babylon at that time, but He will slay the dragon of the sea that fear and anxiety and oppression, all of these things will be reversed and God will bring them down. The Lord Himself causes Leviathan, the thing that scares you the most, the thing that when you're skipping along the top of the ocean, you know is lurking below the surface. And the Lord knows that He's there. And the Lord says you have to not fear. But then in verses 27 through 30, this really is the hinge between point one and point two. It's the hinge upon which the earth is covered. And then here's this hinge. Let's look at verse 27. He says, These all, all, of, all these creatures, the great and the small, these all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath or their spirit, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit or your breath, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. 
See, the same Spirit that created all things and sustains all things each moment of every day is the same Spirit that we enjoy. All of us enjoy when we take a breath. That's that's why I uh, made mention of that, that Spirit and breath are meant to be interchanged. But this Spirit of God is not some amorphous thing. The Spirit of God is a person. He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. Indeed, He sees you in your point of greatest loneliness when you think that you're the only one that fill in the blank. The Lord is with you. He sees you. He knows you. And this this picture that that we see painted here, particularly in verse 29, when you hide your face, they are dismayed. It's the same reason why at the end of a lot of our services, I'll end with what's called the Aaronic Blessing, A-A-R-O-N-I-C, the A-Aaronic Blessing. Uh, that is uh, from, from number 6. Uh, number 6 says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord do what? Make His face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you shalom, give you wholeness, give you peace. This is the God who gives us His Spirit, who gives us life. But then our second point is this. So the earth is covered, then this hinge on which, which the psalmist looks and he says, wow, look at all these amazing creatures that God has made. And then he swings and he considers his own dependence upon the same Spirit of God. That we are covered. That's the second point. We are covered. Verse 31. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in His works who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. May my meditation be pleasing to Him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Can you just imagine a world a city, a country where the people of God are actually springs of life? Where the words that Christians say are actually words of encouragement? Just imagine that for a minute. What kind of world would we live in if we let the Spirit of God do His work through us instead of constantly gauging whether this person really believes the Gospel or not? Spending all of our time considering, well, that person doesn't, he reads that particular person. And they argue. And they gripe and moan and complain. What kind of world would it look like if Christians actually were so overwhelmed with the Spirit of God that He spilled out into their conversations with other people and that they were characterized more by charity and good works than they were by what they were against? That would be a kind of world that I would want to live in. A place where, as we heard in 1 Corinthians 12, that builds one another up and not tears one another down. How many of us have church hurt? Because people backbit, people slandered, people gossiped, people thought the worst about us instead of the best about us. What kind of world would it look like if the church actually looked like the church, looked like a place where we could go to be loved and cared for and then be encouraged and built up to go out in the world? That would be the kind of world that I would want to be a part of. That's the kind of church that I pray that we become. And we're, we're doing that. That's wonderful. I don't, you know, the, the, our, our church is, by God's grace, not characterized by people fighting. That's not the case in our city right now on any number of churches. 
So that's a gift, and we need to acknowledge that, and we need to press into that. What, what This love that's in your heart, let it grow more and more, as the Apostle Paul says. See, we are covered by God's grace, and we float along in that same grace. We swim in that same grace. The whole creation blesses the Lord, and you and I are invited, my friends, to find our hearts filled to the brim with that abundance. That is the beauty of this psalm. It is no longer a transactional relationship, but it is a, a, a flood of grace that God offers you. But so many times we squander it and we, we gauge whether, how am I doing with God? As opposed to saying, Lord, would you fill me up? Would you, would you fill me in such a way that I am just bobbing along in the ocean? I'm playing now in your grace, just like Leviathan is playing in your grace. Because I don't have to fear anymore. I don't have to be anxious anymore that you love me and you accept me because you've given your spirit freely, abundantly, over the brim. Mako in that uh, same podcast that I mentioned earlier, he tells us this. He, He said that God, the King of the universe, invites us to the margins of the world to enjoy a feast. And he says this liberates us from trying to fix the world all the time and loving it as it is. As His beautiful creation. So many times as Christians we can look at the world and say, it's messed up because there is brokenness in our world. But then being able to say, this is my Father's world. And I want to love the world as it is. And I want to love my neighbor as myself as opposed to putting them in some kind of categorization like, well, I can't love them this well because they read this book or they believe X, Y, or Z. Instead of saying, I'm going to love freely because God has loved me freely. That's our invitation in fact, there's a, song, or a, a hymn written by a, a woman named Cecil Alexander called All Things Bright and Beautiful. And you may be familiar with this. But she, she starts the entire uh, hymn by saying, look at the mountains, look at all these amazing creatures that God's created. And, and relish that the Lord has made every dandelion, every flower of the field and every mountaintop, every tree that is overwhelmingly huge, the Lord created that. And she ends that, that hymn by saying, God gave us eyes to see all these things bright and beautiful, and lips that we might tell how great is God Almighty who has made all things well. So we are invited. The Spirit of God this morning, Christian, invites you to be overwhelmed with God's grace and overflowing with God's grace to others. And not trying to fix everything in the world, but asking Him by His Spirit to flood out all those dark places in your heart. So if you're a stay-at-home mom, let me just encourage you with this, that every time you wash the dishes or vacuum the floor, you are worshiping God by reflecting the God who brings order into life. And it seems like, man, do I got to do this again? No, the Lord every morning is saying, wow, Look, the sun, I'm going to make it rise. I'm going to bring order to all the toys on the floor. If you're a teacher, when you go to the whiteboard, you don't, aren't going to be doing that now, uh, but when you go back to the whiteboard in the fall, you are taking chaotic thoughts and bringing structure and organization and bringing light to dark minds, even when students don't want to learn, even when they're complaining about writing that paper. You're teaching them the beauty of discipline. Students, 
When you're exhausted from exams, I know that my kids were like, on the last week, they were like, oh my goodness, I got tests next week. When you're exhausted from exams, remember that the ability to learn is a gift from God. You don't forget as soon as you hear. That is a gift. Like, you don't have to relearn the same thing from first grade by God's grace. You're able to delay gratification and not be a slave to your appetites. That is a gift and that is an opportunity that God has given you as a student to exercise the very uh, uh, way that he's, he's made human beings to learn and to grow. Receptionist, consider that the high and lofty one is sitting next to you. As you look at the calendar, as you take phone calls, the Lord is with you. He is not unaware of what's going on in your life. Manager, someone who is managing uh, workers. You are serving as an intermediary between the lowly and the high. You are one who is serving people. You are communicating grace to them instead of coming down with a hammer. These are all ways that you and I can reflect the goodness of God, can be so overwhelmed that we spill out into the lives of others. So many Christians are losing sight of that invitation. We are all, every single one of us, in every different capacity that we inhabit, are artists and healers of the brokenness around us. We don't have the answer. We don't possess the answer. We welcome others to participate in the great story that God is writing. That is the beauty of the Gospel. That God invites you to invite others into that great story. To care for and mend and go out to the margins of society and attend to the frayed edges. Instead of looking at your life as a constant confrontation with the world, let me ask you a couple questions. Why not see your life as an opportunity to draw near to your coworkers in love and with eyes wide open to the beauty that they bring to the world? Instead of saying, oh, I don't want to see that person. I don't want to talk to that difficult person. Why don't you pray and ask God to open your heart so that you might see them as a beautiful image bearer of God? Instead of feeling the burden that the saving of the world depends on you, why not view your life as an interweaving into the tapestry of God that He is mending, He is weaving together? See, wickedness will be consumed from the earth. Our call is to put our arms around people and bring them into the shelter of God Himself. Instead of saying, you better do this. You're going to turn. You're going to burn. Saying, I too was blind, but now I see. Come with me and I'll tell you where you can find your greatest joy, your greatest hope, your greatest treasure in God. It's one thing to know, my friends. It's one thing to know all of these things, and that's why I was even starting with an application at the beginning. It's one thing to say, yeah, I know all those things. It's an entirely different thing when we actually do what we know. When we actually speak. When we actually put our arm around someone. When we say, look at this Creator of all things and He welcomes you into His presence. When we come alongside somebody, that is an opportunity for us. That's an opportunity for us to see God work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for the fact that You cover the entire cosmos with Your presence and with Your grace and with this beauty 
that we can sit back and enjoy and delight in, and yet You invite us to be a part of that. To say, bless the Lord, O my soul. Everything that is within me, praise Your holy name. Lord, we pray that we would be the kind of people who don't just know these things, but that we would actually take steps of faith to do the things that we do know. That we would understand that the Gospel is not just about me being forgiven, but it is about me being welcomed. And in that welcome, being able to invite others into that great feast. I pray that You would help us, Holy Spirit, to be overwhelmed yet again with Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.